Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to lead performance nutritionist at the FA, Chris Rosimus, and physical preparation coach and sports scientist at the FA, Pete Tierney. Thanks for tuning in to episode 329 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this is the second part of an unofficial Football Association mini-series. So last week we had Bryce Kavanagh, who heads up the department. Then we've got, today, we've got Chris Rosimus, who is nutrition, and Pete, who is physical preparation coach and sports science. Then next week we've got Ben Rosenblatt and Martin Evans. So in this episode with Chris and Pete, we discussed the other 22 hours which Bryce touched upon in the last episode. So Chris discusses nutrition, then we've got Pete coming in to discuss recovery and sleep, and then we link the two. We discuss the framework that's been built by these guys, and also the importance and an inside look at the curriculum that's been built that was led by Chris, but then had the rest of the team in their specialisms add to and develop. So we have a little chat around the importance of building that curriculum and how someone in a club or different environment may go about that. So a really interesting part, part, unofficial part two, coming up with Pete and Chris. As always, would love your feedback on these episodes. I'm really interested and really excited to to deliver these uh, Football Association episodes to you, to give you real insight into how these guys are looking after the best players in the country, not only at senior level, but all all the way through the pathway. And again, not only in men's, but in women's football. So over to Chris and Pete. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Perch. Perch enables velocity-based training, no strings attached. Engineered at MIT, Perch uses small and mobile cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. By passively collecting speed and power data, delivering it in real time to athletes and storing it for post-workout analysis, Perch enhances workouts, reduces injuries and saves time. Perch works with every level of organisation, from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team to the NFL's New York Giants, military installations, high schools and to a number of growing sports performance facilities and even individual garage gyms. Perch is portable, easy to install and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more attachments to athletes and barbells, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once and optimize every rep. Reach out to Perch today and for exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash Pacey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.com 
www.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from I Measure You is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So I Measure You have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Chris Rosimus and Pete Tierney. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this afternoon, I am delighted to welcome Chris Rosimus and Pete Tierney. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for having us. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Pleasure. So part two of the the unofficial FA special after uh, Bryce's came out this week. But a little bit of intro from you both. I'm going to come to you, Chris, first. Background, education, and what you're currently doing at the FA. Well, well, yeah. for the short version or the long version, I'll try and go the middle version for you. My, um, yeah, my, I guess I got my two careers almost. My pre-nutrition days, very briefly, before I got into nutrition, I used to be an, uh, an alarm engineer for six years, believe it or not. And then I, I got into nutrition quite late, so I decided at 23 I was going to make a change and step into the world of education again, re-education, and I pursued the career as performance nutritionist. So I guess that was the previous nutrition career. And alongside that, I was coaching football. And it's football coaching that got me, sparked my interest in nutrition. So I embarked on a degree um, back in 2006 now at Manchester Metropolitan University. Um, did a master's in Sheffield. And I've now just, just completed my postdoc professional doctorate with the uh, University of Kent. So that's the education piece. And my, my previous employment in uh, nutrition, I spent the first six years of my career at the English um, Cricket Board, so leading the nutrition department at the ECB, whilst consulting in football and um, various clubs, including Leicester City. And then um, three and a half years ago, I, I joined the FA to lead the nutrition department across the men's and the women's pathway there. So that's kind of where I am now. Nice, mate. Over to you, Pete. Um, not quite the, the same background as uh, Chris, but um, yeah, started out actually as a, a strength conditioning intern in Leicester Rugby and then spent five years there um, as a sports scientist. And then just over two years ago, um, joined the FA as a physical performance coach and sports scientist. Um, so yeah, that pretty leads me there. So that's definitely the short version. Um, and then education-wise, um, I've done the kind of yeah degree and, and, and master's and then I'm just I've submitted a PhD thesis and just looking to wrap that up hopefully in the next uh, couple of months. What was the PhD? What was the PhD on? Uh, it was on Applied Sports Science and Rugby Union. So predominantly a lot of, um, uh, all of the data was collected in during my time in Leinster. 
and in the last uh, I guess year and a half two years have been just kind of writing up um, since joining the FA so bit of a bit of a, a workload I wouldn't recommend changing jobs during a PhD <laughs> nice mate nice well like I mentioned before Bryce set us up perfectly with, with the part one talking about the other 22 hours is how he termed it yeah I'll come to you first Pete just on that what does that what does that mean what what's that uh, where does that come from where do you guys fit into that yeah, well, I mean, the other 22 hours is a project that um, I've definitely inherited. It certainly isn't one that I've created. Um, the credit definitely goes to Bryce and, and Ruth and Ben, who've been working on this uh, with me for the last couple of years. Um, but it comes from, yeah, like a focus on the other 22 hours to, to go with the name, but uh, the focus on everything outside of training and matches. So the behaviours and what happens from a sleep uh, recovery and nutrition perspective in the other 22 hours of the day. Um, so a lot of it is based on those three pillars um, and a lot on athlete behaviour as opposed to strictly everything being prescribed um, because they spend a lot of time obviously on their own. They need to have um, good understanding of sleep, nutrition and recovery um, and also yeah, some good behaviours around those things as well. So definitely... Uh, a framework that has been created and applied to the teams um, as opposed to the strict set of rules or instructions. How difficult is that when you say behaviour change? How difficult is that given that they're only with you guys for such a short period of time? It's, yeah, it does make it harder. Um, and that probably makes us as a department work a little bit harder to create engaging education environments for them to learn. Um, myself and Chris, even earlier on, we're speaking about um, attainment of knowledge and stuff and, and that next step as well um, but it definitely does make us or challenges us to be a bit more creative about how we engage players um, and even what we started to do with a couple of the squads um, with Ben and uh, and some of the teams as well the staff teams was like this, this project I see anyway as not just a player facing project but actually a staff facing one as well um, and I think uh, yeah, future desired state would be if every team and staff team as well was using the other 22 hours framework and language um, and your staff are discussing how they're recovering and sleeping and eating um, using the same language as the players would as well. So that's that's probably end state in mind anyway. So is there anything you can kind of give us an, exa an examples of how you would educate players and, and staff that like coaching staff that maybe in the younger age groups to adopt this framework and we'll get onto the framework in a second? Yeah, there was one. I mean, it's probably a little bit different now um, during current times in <laughs> education. Um, some of them, like, I guess when you think, and even Chris will definitely go into a bit more detail on this, um, when you think of education, it doesn't always have to be uh, the physical performance coach standing at the top of a room or at the front of the gym and uh, explaining something. That is definitely a method, but um, it could be doing something as part of, of education and trying to teach them by doing and experiencing. Um, and that would certainly be... Um, the focus of the curriculum around exposing uh, players at younger age groups lower down the pathway and then starting to embed that um, as they as they get older. So with the staff, some of that, um, when we try to do it, has been a little bit remote. So trying to get them to connect, I guess, the sleep recovery nutrition uh, concepts to their job or their performance, which is, which is, yeah, like, I mean, coaches and staff need to be performing just as well as players, but albeit a little, a little bit different. Uh -huh. So just bringing you in, Chris, where does nutrition fit into this? Yeah, 
it's all connected really in, in various aspects but the, the main focus of the of the nutrition element on the other 22 hours is all around that recovery side of things so the minute they come off the um, off the pitch and finish finish that that match what then are the nutritional steps that you'd want to put in place you'd want to invite the players to take advantage of and then everything around that so building up to that then the next meal that they would have what supplementation versus food first options might you want to um want to put in place for the players and then heading towards pre-bed sleep nutrition is putting in some good basic nutrition interventions um, well delivered specific to that recovery that you're trying to achieve so we then try to plug our our goals from the nutrition uh, department and then shape them and, and weave them into the other 22 hours because when we talk about curriculum later that's that's crucial to ensure we've got some some coherent delivery across the different focus blocks and on the rice mentioned in the previous podcast that we've that we've installed it's all about the fuel to help us recover so we can go again Nice. I mean, I come to you on the kind of philosophical side, Pete, in a, in a second around the things that you've mentioned as sleep and recovery. But how important is it, Chris, for for you to educate the staff? I mean, I don't know how how many how many nutritionists are there at the FA that spread across the groups. Well, two full time staff. Um, so me and uh, another member of staff, James Moorhead, and we have um, a nutrition consultant as well. So it's it's a, it's a very very it's, it's a small team. And our challenge in the last three years has been delivering our our message and vision across, you know, the, the men's and women's pathway. So with that, does create challenges around delivery. And um, we've not got the luxury of having a nutritionist on every camp with a, with every team delivering what we want to deliver. So then the engagement of how, well, first and foremost, our colleagues, our PPCs are crucial. So how do we... Um, get those individuals on, on message with what we want to deliver and that message then spreads to the coaches and then it's how creative can we be with our delivery at each level of the of the pathway so how we would deliver this message to the uh, 15s at the YDP level would be a different level, style of delivery at the seniors but the theme and the message has to be the same so it's consistent so then it's the resources that we use that we put together that create some sort of common consistent message that everyone can um, get access to and then in time over time that's where you like you want to see the the education attainment and ultimately some sort of change in attitudes and behaviors towards nutrition is there any examples you could give us how that that process differs across say women's seniors to men's 15s you know that that big gap of how you communicate things differently so yeah, so we're delving quite quickly into that. So this is why the curriculum was created. So I guess now allow me if we can just to go back to Bryce's conversation where he was talking about pick train play. That was something that that was brought in and we had, and it was a, a philosophy that we all bought into. And then the next challenge was, well, how then does this? How do we deliver this to make sure that it lands across? Um, various age groups and is what is being delivered is is relevant to the the cohort of people that you're talking to so then through that it was it was looking at uh, curriculum frameworks developed by schools that's how i approached it now bryce mentioned that he, he tasked me with creating a curriculum for the department that started from me creating a, a curriculum for the nutrition department 
so me and my, my colleague James, we looked at what we wanted to achieve and set out on this 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 journey to create a nutrition curriculum. And it, it was through that early process that um, I started to realise actually I don't know a great deal about curriculums. I, you know, I'm not a teacher. I've taught. Um, I've taught football coaching. I've, I've taught nutrition and I've lectured, but to think of a curriculum, um, I, how I know how I now know what a curriculum is was miles away from what I thought it was at the time. So it was just through questioning and learning, asking experts in curriculum design, primary schools, um, colleagues who I know, teachers, what is what is a curriculum? And it was actually the learning outcomes that were the most crucial thing. So they have to be specific to the age group that you're um, that you're dealing with. Now we had our we had our vision what we were trying to achieve. So how do how do we deliver that same message to a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old? So it was thinking really deeply and really carefully and painstakingly about specific learning outcomes for a 15 year old. How is that subtly different up, up to a 17, 18, up to a senior player? And then once you you get your head, we got our heads around that, and we're very very happy with. And the outcomes we wanted, it was then thinking, you know, how will we deliver this then? So, for example, nutrition. And the theme of nutrition is the same theme throughout, whether you're a 15-year-old at the uh, the YDP level or a senior player and the women's pathway who I've been working with. What we're trying to achieve, our goal is that all our players can fuel and recover um, effectively to come up, cope with the demands of international football. That that's, that's what we're trying to achieve. And we've really narrowed our focus down to kind of three kind of most important days, we believe, and in the international window, the day before a game, the day of a game, and the other 22 hours after a game. So all our nutrition um, work is centred around those three days. So whether you are a senior player or a 15-year-old, that's the, the message that we're delivering. But then what we deliver will be slightly different and relevant. So a 15-year-old will get information around the basics of fueling, on what are carbohydrates, what carbohydrates do you need the day before a game? And it's very basic advice, and we have a system in place called Food Formations where players can construct a very basic meal, which is more carbohydrates than proteins, for example. At the senior level, it's still that theme, but it's all about individual fuel planning. So they'll have individual fuel plans, which will work with them to create specific bespoke carbohydrate targets and teach them how to put that together very accurately. So it's exactly the same message, but delivered at a very um, different level based on their journey in the, in the, in the pathway. Nice. And we'll come, I mean, we've, you've gone into a bit of detail there, but we'll come back onto the curriculum later on. But I just want to get Peter back in. No, 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 no. It's, it's great. It, it came up and it was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's more of a more of a conversational rather than going through the, the structure, is it? Um, Feel free to rain me at any time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So, Pete, on the on the sleep side, and this is something that we've spoken about briefly with your post on LinkedIn about the, the Aura Ring and a few other uh, consumer devices. When it comes to sleep specifically, what's your kind of philosophy around trying to help athletes maximize that sleep? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. I'll, I'll diverge from the wearables and go back to the kind of framework because I think it'll feed yeah. into it. But Sounds um, good. In the other 22 hours, the framework that we're using is the four or framework. And the four ors are react, regenerate, restore, and refine. So if we think of that as phases um, within the framework, then we start to see how sleep recovery and nutrition fit into the four of those phases. So it's not to say one phase is one day 
because in an international setting, you might only have two days between games. So you can't have a day dedicated to each phase. So it might be half a day or you might have a day that has two different phases. But if you take React as an example, um, for me trying to plan uh, recovery or the other 22 hours and I'm thinking about reacting from a game, for example, okay, that's thinking, okay, what are the nutrition and recovery interventions or strategies that they need to, the players need immediately after a game? And also then what are the sleep needs that they need straight after a game? So that will vary depending on yeah, the squad that you're with, but also the, the time of day. So <laughs> unfortunately, sport is dictated by TV probably a lot of the time and fixtures. So it's trying to work out what's best suited to the individual, but also um, around the constraints of the environment you're in and the competition and stuff. So I guess to get on to the sleep stuff, uh, the tracking is probably one that's yeah, just skyrocketed in the last two years around wearables and stuff. And there's a bit more, and that's probably not the focus of where we're at at the moment. Um, the whole concept of the other 22 hours is predominantly focusing on brilliant basics and being brilliant at the basics of sleep recovery and nutrition. So the wearable end of it is probably very bespoken only for those players that need it. So largely it's about trying to educate them on good sleep hygiene, good sleep behaviors. Um, and we got Luke Upday in as a, like a sleep yeah. expert and consultant um, who I think you, you've had on before, I think. Yeah, you? he's come on. Yeah. yeah. And Bryce mentioned him. Yeah. 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 So uh, someone like him um, coming in to help us develop that framework and education. Um, and then we've, we've developed a questionnaire that um, I guess tries to landscape the squads that are in. So the wearable stuff and the, the sleep questionnaires oh sorry the wearables are only really as a result of identifying if players have a problem and if they need and want support so that's probably the yeah people probably jump to that too quickly as opposed to trying to address the the basics and the brilliant basics so that's probably if i answer your question to go back to that's probably where we start which is why i just did jump to (laughs) jump to the end jump to the end point so in terms of education i'm really fascinated to to talk about education around sleep and this is something that came up in the chat with luke because a lot of research, and it's getting very much into the public domain, the, the importance of sleep. But from on a day-to-day or camp-to-camp or contact-to-contact basis, especially with the, the younger athletes and, and, and the old, older ones, of course, but how do you go about that education process? And like you mentioned before, and Chris mentioned, there's an option to stand up in front of the group and you be the, that person, or there's, there's other means and ways to go about that. How do you guys do that? the FA with regards to education of sleep. So that probably is an example where by there is a little bit of stand up and um and educate on some basics, duration, quality, timing. There's the three kind of buckets that we we look to think about. Um but there's also different ways, I guess, if you know if if you're working with uh, teams down the pathway where um they need some I guess credibility behind it, you might need to get some resource from uh, an expert like Luke or uh, even a senior player or a player from a different sport who if they voice some um, yeah, sleep habits and stuff like that that are positive we could use different strategies like that um, but a lot of it is around basics and trying to identify whether they can actually retain some of that information as well so like one of the things that I've done on a previous camp was um, like share some basic knowledge around sleep and sleep basics and behaviours and then let the players after that develop their own sleep routine based off of the knowledge that are shared. So it's not my sleep routine that I'm saying everybody has to do these three things a half an hour before bed, but at least, okay, they've had some generic education and then there's some follow-up discussion around, okay, can 
can you develop your own sleep routine off the things that you think you'll one commit to is probably the biggest thing. Um, and then two, yeah, from what you think will actually help you sleep and then just try to follow up with that on the, on the next camp afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just want to get you back in, Chris, with that, that link between sleep and nutrition. And it's something that came up in a, in a chat with, with Shona Halson and she died a little bit into it, but it, she's obviously coming from a sleep perspective with an interest in the link between nutrition and then you're coming from the nutrition perspective with a potential link with sleep. How do you guys, I suppose, bridge that gap between all the different elements of the other 22 hours to so they all kind of look and feel as part of the same framework, which I guess links us back into the, how the curriculum is delivered and, and looks? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's the process of recovery that leads you up to sleep, I guess, is, is what we probably focus on before sleep so it's uh, what 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 few how are they refueling that first hour first and foremost in the second hour and then that pre pre-sleep window is is another opportunity to refuel and recover and stimulate some muscle repair overnight so there's a there's a there's a recovery aspect to it that can help them um, recover overnight and then wake up the next day in a, in a better place so it's making sure that they've got those brilliant basic basics in place first and foremost around that. Are they getting the are they refueling properly? Are they taking the opportunity to eat before bed? And then the education piece comes in. Then what do they have before bed that's going to help or help with their sleep recovery? So it's you know we have a food first approach very much. So um, that's the first, that's the, the forefront of our mind as a, from a nutrition point of view. And then down the pathway, it's 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 things like basic things pre-bed it's yogurt it's it's nuts and seeds it's 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 good whole foods and then as you as we move further up the um the pathway into the into the professional development of seniors you start then looking at different supplements that might enhance sleep recovery above and beyond food because they're at a level where they where there's evidence to suggest that that might help so that's where we might look into various products for example that might translate well into what we're trying to achieve which is better sleep recovery so that's how we could that's how we we look, we look at it just them them three key timings that you spoke about so the, the pre-game at the so the night before the pre-game and the other the, the first 22 hours after the game in terms of that day before what's your what's your thoughts and what's your recommendations to the guys and does that again does that change between age groups in that in that first of them three key key uh, touch points that you have yeah so yeah match day minus one match day and match day plus one they're, they're the three areas that we focus on that's our nutrition focus around so the day before a game is it's the, that's the start point in our education curriculum that's that, that's the common theme is performance fuel the day before a game so the message that we deliver all the way from top to bottom it's it's exactly the same from the perspective of, of increasing your carbohydrate content the day before to make sure your muscles are, are loaded with glycogen so you can start the game fully fueled uh, the next day. And as I alluded to earlier on, how we deliver that message is is subtly different through the age groups. And that, and like, like I mentioned before, it, certainly the, the YDP and the PDP level, it's more around good nutritional habits to construct what we call the food formations and we have three food formations. One's the high fuel formation, one's the repair formation, one's the protect formation. So then we're starting to actually talk then about fuel periodization without going into too much 
um, detail on that. But we want them to. We want to put a really good education system in place so they can understand the right time to have more fuel, more protein, more carb, carbohydrate, uh, and, and more vegetables based on what their focus is. So the day before the game, it's the education's all around high fuel, the high fuel formation. And then as we get higher up the pathway, it's individualised fuel planning. So before the World Cup, for example, um, the women's so the women's team objective was every single player um, has, a, has a clear individualised fuel plan, uh, fuel plan, and they know how to construct it so they can we can deliver those players to the pitch uh, in, a, in an optimally fuel state. So that comes to carbohydrate targets based on on uh, body weight, and we call that at the top at, the, at a higher level of delivery project six G. Because we want them to be consuming six grams um, of carbohydrate per kilogram of, of body weight, which is the lower threshold of high based on the textbook. But we've come from a place where we felt that was realistic and achievable because it does take a bit of work to consume that amount of carbohydrate. So it's again, it's the same message, just delivered differently up the pathway. And how does that differ to what happens on match day? So on a match day, it's um, we don't have the, the individualised planning. It's 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 not as it, that's not our main focus there. We really want them to get the day before right. So if they get the day before right, um, for well, we baseline. You know, we're, at senior level, particularly in the women's team, we've baselined and profiled every every kind of player's nutritional habits. So on the match day, that wasn't the, the big issue because they were they were tuned into eating more carbohydrate. So it's getting the day before right. They have their own routines as well. I mean, that's really important, particularly at senior level. Senior play at level on the women's side, there's a lot of routine around nutrition. Um, it's our job to work within that. We don't want to disrupt that too much, but if we can see some areas um, through your relationship that you build with that player that you might be able to subtly change, then these you would look at that. But it's about topping up the fuel and and then building into into that game. And then on match day, we have very specific match day fueling strategies which is part of our curriculum as well so there's the everything beforehand leading up to and then it's okay how do we fuel in game as effectively as we can particularly in a tournament situation where the game might go into extra time because you know we want to guarantee fuel for 90 minutes to 120 minutes for seven games in the, for the duration of the tournament so there has to be a very specific you know evidence is there how much fuel you you would need to fuel what we call the endurance event. And that's one of the analogies that we use in our curriculum to, to hook the players in, to get them interested in particular, a particular concept that we're trying to deliver. And last but not least, the what come post-game? And I'll bring you in, Pete, after that with regards to recovery. But in terms of nutrition, Chris, where does that then go nutrition-wise for that, um, that time immediately after games? Yeah, so straight after the games, the players are all... You know, Pathway specific, what options are available? So down the pathway, we look for a food first approach. So more milk based products, for example, after a game for a protein carbohydrate. There's a combination of protein and carbohydrate. And then further up the the pathway, then there's there's more um, nutritional products available that ultimately are providing the same thing, but they they are delivered and, and, and packaged and and branded slightly differently. But ultimately, it's it's the same. It's grounded in the same science. So really. We're wanting them to refuel and replenish that carbohydrate um, and then recover with the right amount of protein, which then leads into a real meal within two hours. So one of the issues that we, we don't want to 
you know, we don't want to be suppressing appetite too much. We want to make sure that they're, they're recovering right, they're taking the right amount of fuel and they're still getting good quality nutrition as well through whole foods in that first one to two hours. And then, like Pete mentioned, it, all the, it can change based on kickoff times. Um, if, it's, if it's a late kickoff, then you clearly got less time, less time to eat. Uh, appetite is a big thing. It becomes very, it becomes very, very individual. And what we're finding when you get to senior level, it lower, it's just a touch more generic down below um, in the pathway because you know got the resource resource to work at individual level. But at senior level, it's incredibly bespoke, and you're working with the individuals then to find solutions that work for them that um, they can deliver consistently. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Chris and Pete. So in part two, we discuss a lot around the building of the curriculum, which Chris touched upon at the very start of this episode. So a really interesting look at how this performance curriculum was built, but also added upon by the the other members of the team who have specialisms in their specific areas. So really interesting part two coming up with Chris and Pete. But just before we do dive into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. And also sponsoring this episode today is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out, if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out, or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got, whether that be barbells, dumbbells, plates, maybe a new rack, some flooring, etc, etc. Have a little look at what Black Box Fitness can offer. So you can head to their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, or for a more informal view of what they do, head over to their Instagram, because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in Australia, in the UK, in Europe, etc. So head over to their Instagram, which is at blkboxfitness, and they're the same on Twitter. Post game, Pete, before sleep, what's happening in there? What's your, what's your kind of philosophy of what, what goes on in that? And obviously linking back to the framework that you guys have, uh, you guys have developed. Yeah. So if we link back to the framework, um, it is, it is, and like Chris said earlier on, it's how all of these different focus blocks um, fit in together. So it's not even looking at recovery on its own or nutrition on its own. It's okay. Those two things on top of everything else. So, if we look straight after the game would be typically our react phase. Okay, so how are we reacting straight after uh, the game finishes, whistle goes. So from a nutrition perspective, Chris has just shared some things, but from a recovery strategy perspective, typically want to look to blunt information, um, especially in a tournament setting, if if games is the is the outcome or, or what you're trying to get, you know, quick turnaround to games is the focus of that camp. So that would be one. So 
I know pretty um, debatable one, but like one that gets used um, frequently would be called water immersion. Um, so that might be a suitable strategy, again, based on uh, the game and the context of the camp. Um, that's not to say cold water immersion or ice bath is suitable for every day and doing it on every recovery day or, or training day or everything else. But in that setting, after a game, that could be the best strategy to use. In the next phase, then regenerate. Again, like these aren't just days, but how you regenerate, um, you need to give back to accelerate the recovery process. So that might be, um, depending on how players feel, um, uh, like cold or contrast water therapy. It could be movement session, it could be mobility, it could be various different things. And I think it comes back to, again, a different phase of the pathway. Um, at YDP, it could be just about exposing them to different recovery strategies and trying to get them to understand. So whilst they're doing them, educate them on the benefits of different strategies, getting some feedback from them and, and them trying to understand, okay, yeah, actually when I did this after this match or this training session, I actually felt better than I normally do. Whereas when you get up the pathway, PDP and seniors, obviously it becomes a little bit more bespoke and um, more about them delivering really specific. So I think giving athletes choice in their recovery at certain stages is important as well. So again, like an example of that would be, and this is where we've had to work to collaborate with um, the, the team on camp. So physio, doctor, coaches, everything else. So if we can offer two to three different recovery strategies that we feel are suitable, for example, on a match day plus one, um, dependent on how the player feels. So if they feel tight or they feel sore, their recovery intervention might be different. So we can't give them a blanket approach. Some cases we do, we have to if we're limited on different things, but trying to give them options. And I think even just behavioral signs, if you give somebody a choice in something, okay, if you feel tight, we're going to put on a mobility session. If you feel sore, we're going to put on a contrast water therapy session, for example. If a player chooses something because they think that's going to have a benefit, it probably will have a benefit at the same time. Um, so I think that's also an important step, um, which gives it gives the physical performance coach on the camp um, autonomy in this thing. And Bryce uses um, that analogy in the other 22 hours around, uh, well, in general around like, you know, the Christmas tree kind of decoration. So you've got this framework and how you decorate it is up to you on camp, dependent on the constraints that you have, the opportunities that you have, the team, the tournament, the, the goals and objectives of the camp as well. So I'm kind of pretty diverging a little bit away from specifically <laughs> recovery, recovery after the game. But it's, yeah, it's trying to paint a big picture of how it all fits into that framework, I guess. Yeah. And what, did it, what just remind me of the second two hours? Uh, so re uh, react, regenerate, restore and refine. So it starts to go from, okay, re reacting and your immediate focus is recovery and it starts to shift towards actually almost preparation for the next session. So everybody probably thinks of it game to game, but there's also trainings in between that as well. So a refined session, um, you know, the night before a game might be um, a little bit more movement focused where players want to feel a little bit better or, you know, some teams and, and in some cases have used some priming strategies, which I would see partly as, part of the refine um, four hour framework within the other 22 hours, but it also ties into uh, like training solutions that Martin and Ben will speak a little bit more about as well on, on the, the other episodes. So that's where I see all the, the, the different focus blocks connecting up. I know you said these are not in, in like individual days, the four hours aren't day one, day two, day three, day four, but is there any particular examples or scenarios where one of them may be elongated or one of them may be, shortened for whatever reason 
Um, yes, yeah, so another analogy I'll say from Bryce um, would be the accordion analogy. So the four oars being like, it can be shorter or longer. So I like that one. Um, but I mean, a typical turnaround you get in international football would be match day, uh, match day plus one, match day minus one, and match day. So two days between a game. Um, so in that instance, and in some previous examples um, that I've experienced, the react phase would be on the match day. So straight after the game, um, what are the recovery, nutrition, sleep interventions that we can provide? The day after match day plus one, I would see as a blend of regenerate and restore. So that may be a mix of, um, okay, group session, uh, regenerate session, and then also some individual options for them to do later on in the day. Uh, and then the match day minus one is a mix of restore and refine. So maybe what you do pre-training is still has a slight restore and recovery focus, but is obviously trying to prepare them for the training session that they need to complete on the match day minus one. And then the match day minus one in the evening, that's probably about refining their recovery and, and priming them or preparing them for the next day, which goes back into match day again. So that's probably an example of a two-day turnaround where you fit the four-hour framework into yeah, two and a half days. Um, but still, all of the concepts and the framework is still there. It just it it flexes depending on the the turnaround of the fixtures. When you when you talked about giving the, giving the players choice and giving them choice is more likely to have some sort of positive effect. Is there anything that you do to measure the effect, even if it's just subjective, so they can be aware of? Okay, yeah, last week I did feel better for doing that cold water immersion. Therefore, this week I'm gonna do it again. Is there anything that you do to measure that feeling from the guys? Yeah, well, one is just it's just feedback. Um, even speaking to players, like I've had it plenty of times with ice baths. They, you know, some players just do it because they know they feel better. Some players hate it, but then when they get out, you know, I say, "How do you feel?" And they, or the next morning, they say, "I feel much better." So they kind of know okay, there's a little bit of short-term pain for hopefully a bit of medium-term gain. Um, in terms of like monitoring it, we'll use our wellness system. As, as part of uh, helping track that. So example being um, on a previous camp a couple of months ago, um, we'd look at total recovery scores, um, I guess, from a bash day minus one or a heavy training day. And in some cases you want recovery to drop because if you're trying to elicit a heavy stimulus, you need to make sure that it's actually causing a stimulus, a stress stimulus on the players. Um, but if you put in a recovery day, for example, on a camp after a game or after a heavy training session, you obviously want to try to see a bounce of a bounce back of recovery. So using that, um, that's based off some subjective uh, questionnaire um, that the players do every day on camp. So using that alongside, uh, yeah, just individual conversations with players and feedback, that's kind of how I would use it anyway. Mm-hmm. So when you say your subjective questionnaire, is that quite generic? Is that kind of you've manipulated? something to make it bespoke for your guys? Is that, is that Does that differ across age groups? Does it get more complex or more refined as you go up? How does that, how does that subjective stuff look? Uh, no, it's, it's, that, that'd be one of the consistent ones used across um, men's and women's pathways as well. So again, it's um, one of the projects that our department would have done and Callum, uh, one of the physicists, led on that uh, along with Rich. Um, Rishaykhanet as well. So they've, yeah, they've set up a consistent wellness framework across men's and women's pathways. So that's been used across across both pathways, yeah. Cool. Just bringing you back in, Chris, and linking into that choice aspect, because I'm really interested in that from what, what Pete said. How, how crucial is that from a nutrition point of view to offer that choice to, to keep, yes, to keep everyone happy, but get the most benefit of, of you know, what's available? 
Well, yeah, obviously it, it is important. I mean, not everyone is going to want the same food, have the same taste preferences. So, you know, for the for the I guess the the products that are available, there's always um, there's definitely choices there. And through the nature of the the food provision that we do provide, the nature of, of buffets, for example, then there is you no know, there's, there's freedom of choice. Where we try to influence that is through the education around the fuel formations. So, okay, it's a buffet, but what we're trying to focus on now, and through the education, that's where then we we you know we want to inspire and influence into a better choice in that dining room. So, if it's recovery, to be looking for. The, the the repair formation for example if it's a high fuel it's the constructing the high fuel formation so your choice is crucial um and it's our job to try and steer them around making that that choice more specific to what they what they need it for yeah nice just coming back to you chris on the on the curriculum side i'm, I'm really interested to dive a little bit deeper and there'll be plenty of coaches out there who hear the word the word curriculum and think oh that's beyond me. I'll, I'll maybe package it in a different way, but don't call it a curriculum because it sounds, it sounds pretty uh, intense. But how, how could, how did you go about the research behind that and that, I suppose, foundational work that you went in, that you went into to, to start to develop this? Yeah. So I guess pick up where I, I jumped in earlier on in the, in the yeah, conversation. <laughs> I got to start again. So apologies if I repeat myself, but it, you know, I guess it's, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. So I think it's. Yeah, it's quite a scary term, I guess, because it's in terms of, of, of sport. I mean, I've, I've 11, 12 years now in, in professional um, sports um, as a performance nutritionist, and I've never really seen, or I've never been part of a, a, a delivery, curriculum delivery in the nature of this. You think curriculums, you kind of generally think schools. And we all, we've all, we all deliver in all our practice, whatever we've done in the past, you're all delivering a curriculum as such, but it's probably never been packaged in, in, a, in this way, certainly not in my experience. So that was, the start point was actually thinking, what do what do I want to deliver? So right at the beginning where it was nutrition, what do we want to deliver? We, we, we had an idea of what we wanted to deliver. Um, and then the first start point was just scribbling on thinking, okay, what are the performance um, outcomes that we're trying to support? For, and where does nutrition fit into that? And I remember going through that process, I had a spreadsheet of all this stuff, of one page and I initially naively thought well, that's my curriculum but then actually when I started to check and challenge that with curriculum experts become very clear very quickly that that was lit the tip of the iceberg at best so that was it was at that point that I I, I thought I need to look I need to reach out here and, and, and find some expertise so um, Lots of research, lots of stuff online. Found a great paper um, of a, a, an individual in America that created a, a nutrition curriculum that I was able to look at that thing. Okay, that's looking more likely. I'm looking at stuff now like a curriculum faculty. I've never considered that. Every school has a faculty, so do we need something like that? Uh, learning outcomes. What actually are learning outcomes and how are they different? How do they then link to objectives? And I'm, it's, all these things started to, to become more clear that actually it's more than just what you're going to do it's how you're going to do it so i then stumbled across a um, a brilliant a brilliant podcast i'm a big listener of podcasts and pete's heard me tell this story too many times but <laughs> and, uh, i was doing my research and i just typed in, in my podcast search curriculum and literally like bingo how would you look at the curriculum podcast um, <laughs> so, so I, this is easy 
Like, this is super easy. So, uh, kid, you know, I've listened to it. I think it's episode 77. I've listened to every one. Um, brilliant podcast. So I listened <laughs> to that. And as I started getting into that, I, it, it, talk about, it sparked, some, it definitely sparked uh, a fire within me around, this is it. Okay, this is making sense. I know what I want to create, and I need, this is the kind of, um, these are the kind of experts I need to speak to. So I got in touch with those and I initially thought, I'll see if we can get some budget together and pay them to make it for us. And that would have been way too easy. And he said, we can't do that. It's out of scope. But what you, you can do is um, go on our website and they've got six steps of curriculum design, which has now become my... Um, my the Bible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Associated with the six steps of curriculum design. So I worked through that. I took those six, the six steps of curriculum design from a primary school curriculum, looked at that and thought, right, I'm going to follow those and create my own version of it. It's not going to be exactly the same because Ofsted aren't going to come and audit it anytime soon. Um, you never know. It might, go that, it might go that way. But I can create my own version. So we that was the first start. So we, the six steps of curriculum design, it's okay, step one, what's the principle and purpose of your, of your school, your department? Once you've got that, you know where you're going. Then you can start to build something called curriculum intent. So what's your intention with your delivery? What do you, what's it going to be kind of um, coloured by? Then how do you achieve in curriculum terms breadth and balance of, of your delivery, um, specific to what you want? Then what do your, your teaching outcomes look like? What does your concept look like, stage five? And stage six, it's about how do you review and evaluate, I guess, the efficacy of, of what you're delivering. So we are, I went through those those six steps, and that's where then going back to Bryce's podcast, Pick, Train, Play, that was that was easy because we had our stage one. We had our vision, well articulated by Bryce, department bought into that, Pick, Train, Play, the philosophy. So then that was absolutely crucial because I think without that clarity and you know, the great work as well that Martin and Ben had done alongside Bryce, really getting clarity on our vision, that made it very easy for me then to start to shape the direction because that was done. So I knew where we were going as a department. The challenge was how are we going to how are we going to deliver it? There's all these disciplines um, and different levels of delivery. There's stuff, there's gym-based stuff, pitch-based stuff, nutrition. How does that then? How are we going to kind of package that up and create something that's meaningful? And we always want to what we say we want to do is inspire and influence players. So how are we going to do that? So through um, conversations, this is where it became um, a bigger piece of work. Through conversations with members of the team, it was, what do we want this to look like? What do we, what do we want our players who receive this education? What, what, what's it going to be like? And quite clearly, it was about immersive. It's a very immersive um, content. It's not a school. It's a curriculum, but it's, it's not a school as, as we, you sit down and you get talked at. We don't want it to be that. It's, it's, it's very specific. And all our teaching is, is, is immersive. So we, we were very clear on that. Wants to be immersive learning for the players so it's, it's something they can feel. So we then looked at, okay, how do we break this down? How do we achieve breadth and balance with what we're delivering? And we, that's where the term focus blocks was, was uh, established. So we didn't want to call them lessons or topics or themes. And I've always liked, I've used for, in previous practice, previous roles, it's a focus blocks is a term that I've used. So we then um, assigned focus blocks. So that's where we started to then to develop our faculty because again, this needs a faculty, but who, who, who forms part of that faculty? I mean, it's just me. 
So we pulled in someone from FA Education to get an, an educator's eye on it, a teacher, someone called Kim Hyde, who was, who was, who was a great um, addition to that, who really got me thinking about education. And then we brought, we brought in, obviously, um, Mar uh, Martin Evans, Ben Rosenblatt, um, because there's definitely going to be a component on the physical components of, of delivery, so physical capability, training solutions. Then we brought in James Hairsign, who was leading on periodization, and then Ruth and Pete on the other 22 hours, and there was myself and James Moorhead leading on nutrition. So there we had our five focus blocks. So that was our that's how we achieved some breadth and balance of our delivery through um, strategic selection of these focus blocks that we were going to deliver on to help us achieve our vision. So that was, I say it was easy, it was, it was, it was difficult to get to that point, but once we got to that point, the big challenge then was working with these focus block owners and um, putting together a framework where they could go away and independently write the, the outcomes and content for their focus blocks was over to them. So the framework was put in place and we had a very clear understanding of, of how to write and how to put together uh, learning outcomes, which I learned from school education and this is what it looks like so at the at the at the at 15s it's about um being able to list and describe uh, so list and um differentiate uh, something as you go further down it's about uh, at the senior level it's about being able to critique it and deliver it autonomously so then once you've got those outcomes that definitely that has an impact on what you what you're gonna are going to propose to deliver so we, we took a long long time working with the focus lock owners to write very clear learning outcomes for, for each um, level of the pathway they were delivered to. And then it was a case, right, so how are we going to deliver it? Because we have to connect. You've, you've talked a lot before about how do you uh, get, I guess, um, get the players to engage. What we put in place, which is in the curriculum, was this element of how we connect. So it's around um, every, every kind of lesson that we deliver we follow this kind of three-pronged approach where it's, it's what's the analogy that we use? There's an analogy. We all use analogies all the time in our delivery. So in nutrition, for example, it's like the book, we use a um, sponge analogy for glycogen. If you fill the, the sponge full of water, you're filling that with, uh, with, with glycogen or the car analogy. So what, what are the common analogies that we're all using? We all pull them together. What case studies have we all got? from our delivery, because we've all delivered, we've had this curriculum, we've all delivered areas and we've done some really great work. How can we capture these case studies to, to, to show actually that this is possible? So hook them in with the analogy, that sounds good. So Project 60, how would you connect? What's the case study that shows that it's real and doable? And the final piece is we're collecting lots of data uh, and there's lots of science out there. What's the underpin, underpinning science and data to show them that it, it's real? And if you get you get all those things together, that that then that can that then directly goes into how we then plan to deliver the sessions and how the focus block owners will choose what they deliver. And then it's a case of what resources do they need? Simple as that. You know what do they need to deliver it? Every focus block is very unique because it'll be different. How it'll be delivered will be different. What do they need? And then those those kind of six pieces all put together, and um, that helps. Kind of the, the, the delivery be coherent because it's all it's all it's all created from the same the same methodology and it's all connected to the vision and then the final stage of the curriculum is how we assess it so it's all great having a 
well and good having a great curriculum looks great um but how do you know it's been successful so like the first iteration of the curriculum was assessing did we deliver it simple as that yes or no it's it's hard to it was it's hard to assess everything but first and foremost can we assess ourselves do we deliver it and the stage that i'm working on now is how can we assess it how can we demonstrate that it's actually changing the behavior so that's the that's the kind of the, the top line process of the six stages that help create the framework and now it's a now we're in a situation where we're starting to starting to deliver it Rob, if, you, I, if I jump in, sure. sorry, if, um, just when you, when you said about, oh yeah, some coaches might hear curriculum and think, oh my God, this is a, like, that's scary. So I remember like when I did join um, and started working with Ruth and Ben Young on the Other 22 Hours project, one of the things that Chris did task us with was um, as a focus block owner of Other 22 Hours, the <laughs> developing and establishing the objectives and outcomes, learning outcomes of the Other 22 Hours. And I remember... At the time, I, I it was difficult because like myself, Ruth and Ben went into the room and we were whiteboarding like how this fits in and stuff and we were banging our head against the wall of SGP. But then as we did it, it gave me real clarity on, well, for each age group, okay, these are the learning outcomes and objectives. This is how we're going to measure it. it. It was actually really, really useful process to go through. It was difficult, of course, and challenging. I'm probably annoying for Chris because we kept going back to him about, oh, how, how is this going to fit and how is this going to work? But yeah, it probably it was a little bit scary to to admit of like trying to fit this in. But now that we've used it and I've, we've went through that process, it definitely gave me a lot of clarity on um, this project. And the second point I want to say in the case studies as well was I think that goes for both players and coaches. Like again, the example around the recovery scores and stuff after recovery day. Like I've shared some of that with coaches before and and staff, and said, look, this is this is the effect of the recovery day on how the players feel after it. So like it's almost evident to the players as well, but also to the coaching staff and say, look, when, when we've gone hard, you know, we've had a heavy training day, an internal match, for example, if we have a recovery day after that, it actually allows them to recover so that we can then perform again the next training day and the next match day as well. So using those case studies, they're obviously player facing as well, but I think that's another example of sharing with the staff as well. Would you both, and I'll come to you first, Chris, and I'll get your opinion, Pete, uh, very, very quickly before I let you guys go. But would you would you recommend everyone in, no matter what level of club, maybe not to the depths that you've gone to, but setting up something like this and going through the process that you've gone through, maybe listening to the curriculum podcast episode number 77 and and going through that process. So it's super, super clear, not only for the person, because it might be a one-man band, but enabling them to pass to someone like Pete, who has a specialism in a certain area and going, this is the, this is the way we're going to go, fill these blocks, fill these gaps that I've created. Good question. I think you... I'm biased because I'm so um, excited about curriculum <laughs> myself. I would say yes. I guess it comes down to what you individual circumstance, doesn't it? The environment that you're in, the constraints that you've got, resource available. I think that if you're trying to deliver, if if you've got a very clear vision and purpose, and you want to deliver it across uh, in, across various, I guess, groups in a consistent way, um, that, and you want to demonstrate that your delivery is, is meaningful, then this kind of approach, I would definitely, I would say is, is the way to go. I think what we would, for us as a department, is give us a common language 
that curriculum, focus blocks, common language, um, which we all understand. And it's made delivery more deliberate. So lesson plans, we all, all focus block owners have to create lesson plans. Not saying that they look at the lesson plan and like robots delivering it, but actually it it makes them think about them learning outcomes and makes that delivery more deliberate because that's based on um, a, a considered process to help the player get from A to B in a given area. So from that point of view, um, if it gives if it gives you clarity, helps your message be consistent and helps you be more deliberate and demonstrate what you're doing is valuable. Then from that from that point of view. Then, then I would say, without a doubt, yes, it's worth considering. What's your opinion on that, Pete? It'd be pretty similar to, to Chris, to be honest. Like, it depends on a lot of those factors. Um, but to me, I think even before that, you need to, like you said, have a really clear vision. And to be honest, even when I joined, like, that was one of the things that stood out to me. Um, being the, yeah, I think the last person to join the department was... Like the vision was very clear from the outset. So as soon as I joined, I knew what we were trying to achieve as the department. And then because of the way it fit into the picture and plane model and the different focus blocks, um, that gave me real clarity on what I knew I had to do. Um, so once I say it was challenging, like developing and thinking in that curriculum way, it was definitely advantageous for us as a department in our setting and environment and constraints. Um, but it, I think it just the step before is like getting the real clarity on the vision of why we're doing things, what we're about as a department and stuff. So that that was probably the first step, and that really helped me when I joined. Nice. I can I can certainly relate to that from a just a business processes point of view as well. That might be. I'm I'm going to listen to episode seventy seven and dive into the dive into the curriculum. So I, I, instantly, I think there's so much so much that can transfer into various different environments, whether it's a performance team in a football club or it's been been clear about how to run a podcast and, you know, do do businessy things. So, yeah, I appreciate that. But, guys, where's the best place for people to catch up with you if they want to dive into more of these topics or know what else you've got going on, PhD-wise, Pete, et cetera? Where's the best place to uh, to catch you? I'll go to you first, Pete. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, so... Anyone wants to send me a message, inbox is always open and always happy to chat. Cool. Do you know what your Twitter handle is? Uh, Peter Thierry 93 I think. But nice. I, I think it is that, yeah. Yeah, I think it might be, yeah. mate. Chris, what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? All things curriculum, of course. <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. That's all, That's the only platform I use. So just Chris Rossimus uh, and LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time, guys. Really appreciate you uh, coming on. And it's been an excellent addition to the unofficial, unofficial three-part FA series. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Cheers, cheers. Thanks for tuning in to episode 329 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Chris and Pete. So absolute pleasure to get these two guys on. Again, the unofficial part two of the three-part Football Association series, starting with Bryce last episode continuing with Chris and Pete this one and then Ben Rosenblatt and Martin Evans to follow up next week as well so big thanks to Hawking Dynamics to iMeasureU Black Box Fitness Kitman Labs and Perch for sponsoring this episode today the podcast could not run in its current form without these guys so I really appreciate their support and if you are interested in any of their products and you want a unbiased recommendation 
please get in touch there's been plenty of people have done that over the last couple of years while these guys have been on board so happy to give my opinion on their products so thank you for tuning in don't forget next episode with ben rosenblatt and martin evans and i will speak to you then